0: Vitamin C has evolved. Ultriant Vitamin C is a cutting-edge liposomal liquid food supplement designed for maximized absorption. Discover Ultriant Liposomal Vitamin C and receive 10% discount by quoting HR10 at AbundanceAndHealth.com Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one Talk Health Radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the leaders, clinicians and CEOs who are driving the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. I'm a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself and I'm passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Before I introduce today's guests, as always, I'd like to remind everyone to follow us on the social, which is at Health Tech Hour, and also follow UK Health Radio, which is at UK Health Radio, just to stay on top of all of the great content coming up on the station. So today is another show where we have two guests on, and based on our pre-production meeting, I think it's going to go very well because both of them seem to have quite a lot that they want to say. So that's good. It's always a good start. Um... Continuing our theme of how AI, so artificial intelligence, can be used in healthcare, today's guests, Anuj Sabu and Jonathan Abraham, are the founders of Helum, H-E-A-L-U-M, which is an AI-powered healthcare platform which helps in the treatment and monitoring of people with long-term chronic conditions such as diabetes. Helum has been identified as one of the trailblazers in using artificial intelligence to improve how the healthcare system helps to treat people and announced a few days ago that it has raised over two million pounds from among others the northern powerhouse fund helam is already at use in scale across the nhs and it may well be that listeners have come into contact with it without realizing it either because they use it or because their doctors use it already so um anuj jonathan welcome to the show how are
1: you hi steve yeah nice to be here how are you doing
0: Good, you know, good. Um, I ask everyone like this, just kind of straight out the gate, but how are you guys faring? I guess lockdown slightly eased. How is the mood in the camp at the moment over at Helam?
2: Yeah, I think, um, hey Steve, it's uh, Jonathan. Yeah, the mood in the camp's really good, actually. We've, um, I think during this period, we've tried to find ways to uh, bring the team together and do fun stuff from like, you know, like geeky online games on Friday and uh, every day, having like a little sort of, team group lunch together and stuff so um yeah i think we're all just looking forward to being able to eventually get out in the sun and um, meet each other we've hired some people that we've actually never just met. literally met online <laughs> So yeah no
0: yeah. I, we're, we're in the same way i think lo- lots of people that have come on the show have said the same thing it's like it's you i mean in a, you would never ever hire people that you've not met before but yeah, yeah. You, you have to hire so you know the <laughs> i guess that's the benefit of video calling
1: and we've also been talking about like what it will actually feel like working next to each other because some of these people you've never sat next to each other and work you know like right next to each other it's going to be a completely different experience so yeah really looking forward to the lockdown ending and us being able to like come together um... yeah i think there's all of these small
0: challenges that actually we'll be glad of having to deal with because it means that this 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 period of, of, of pandemic is either over or, or nearly over for the for the foreseeable which would be great yeah
1: yeah
0: so um so as regular listeners know the show is generally split up into three parts so the first part is an origins about where you guys sort of started and how you you came to be doing what you're doing the middle part is what you're doing right now with Helam that's changing the world and then the final part is what's the future for Helam and then if there are any topics of the day that we want to kick around then we sort of do it in that in that part obviously there's two of you so you know, we kind of, it ends up being a bit of a mishmash, but, you know, I'm sure it'll be absolutely fine. So just to kick off with, um, each of you, you know, <clears throat> feel free to start whoever wants to start, but what kind of journey w- did you take before you ended up starting Helam? What, 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 where did you sort of, w- yeah, what journey were you on that ended with you deciding to do this, this Helam company?
2: Cool. So, um, uh, I- I'll start, um, first with that one. So, um, I think, um, the journey that I was on personally, both from a professional perspective and from a personal perspective, sort of started to um, all point to a direction that I really wanted to spend the rest of my life um, unlocking people's health potential and really supporting them with all the digital services and technology that I skills that I had gathered along the way wow. um, to help them make better health choices in their lives mm-hmm. and live in a way that them and their family could be live as long as possible and as healthy as as possible and um for me personally so um you know around so i'm about 39 now around my early 30s as as many of us do when we kind of get over the 30 mark um you start to like hit certain of chronic health problems. You know, before mm. that, you're a bit sort of like fancy free, early twenties, and uh, just enjoying life, and but working really hard. And so mm. for me, it was um, being i was borderline obese. I was about 19 kilos heavier than I am now. I had gout, hypertension, and all these sort of chronic conditions were all building. And um, I, when I actually tried to change my health and try to address some of these problems, it was really hard, and I kept hitting points of failure. But there was really mm. frustrating things like different healthcare professionals not having a view of my data and not really being able to coordinate all the multitude of different people inside the NHS and outside the NHS and getting them all kind of working to um, really give me the personalized care. And I mm. felt really passionate that personalized care was something really should have gone. And, and, and I felt that um, I, I really wanted to try and help other families so that they could you know, spot risks before they happen and manage their health in a way that was
1: information and content on UK Health Radio and our blog are provided by the authors, producers and companies um, themselves. Sort of my
2: personal and is... journey on the professional side, was, you know, working in big data and AI and solutions um, prior to founding Helam, uh, a number of companies, both small and large, and saw that there was a role for really great connected systems and services to better support people to manage their own healthcare um, and then I met Anuj on the way
1: all right
0: and so how did you guys meet
1: um, so yeah I mean that's quite interesting so basically um, my personal journey has been uh, uh, slightly different so um very quickly when I was little my inspiration can we name names like some other brands and things like that on the show
0: yeah you, can, yeah, you can say what you want. As long as it's not swearing, All right, all right. will be very My up
1: inspiration was, if you know Knight Rider from uh, David Hasselhoff? Yeah. It, the car, the kit. That was kit. my inspiration. Kit, yeah. yeah. Everyone and loves that up, car. When I saw that car, I was like, I want to make that car. So that was okay. my decision of getting into any sort of computing. It wasn't games. It was that kit. I wanted to make that car. So right. all throughout my sort of childhood, growing up, right up to... You know, studying artificial intelligence like 15 years ago, I was like, I'm gonna make that car. You know, I've studied robotics and things like that, and that fascinated me. That whole automation aspect, and I also grew up, uh, you know, in a in a family of uh, sort of uh, scientists and um, you know medics, and basically I grew up around that life sciences knowledge, just mm. conversations happening. So didn't really understand anything, but yeah, it was always a passion, and I you know just. Health was always a passion as well. So I, I grew up with these two things. And basically, I think um, in, in 2020, uh 2012, the, the, the trigger point for me where I wanted to do really wanted to do something about it is when my father passed away from a very, you know, uh critical condition. And that was very shocking for me. Um and, and at that point I was like, okay, you know, he was such a healthy person, but something like that happened to him. So you know, really need to do something about it. And I personally started, you know, uh, tracking my blood results like over yeah. a period of seven, eight years, and like looking at test reports, doing blood reports, looking at data, and doing something about it just personally. Um, and and professionally, uh, I was uh, at the same time I was also working at one of these digital transformation companies who go into big NHS trusts and help them sort of go to the cloud. So right. I firsthand what the state of you know healthcare was and where there is such a big need and how the healthcare was you know uh you know under so much pressure um that's when i started thinking about like okay something needs to happen some i need to do something about it and you know if i'm interested in it some, someone else might be also interested in that same thing mm-hmm. and during that time it was i think just past my you know 2012 uh in 2013 i started looking for People who are similarly interested in healthcare, okay. in doing a business. And I spent quite a lot of time. How did, how did, where did you go to look for those type of people? So for me, I was just going to meetup groups. Like okay. I met hundreds Old of school. people literally, uh, had various levels of meetings and I came towards the end of the year, 2013. I was quite disappointed because I didn't quite meet like, you know, a meeting of minds and things like that. And I was like, you know what? I was, like this literally on New Year's Eve, I was sat there and I was like, oh man, one year, nothing has happened. Nothing has moved. What am I doing? Right. So I went online and there's this website called uh, Tech Co-Founder something, something. It's kind of like a Tinder style thing where you meet other people. So okay. I was like, you know what? One final go. I'll put my profile up. See Oh, what wow. Happens. New Year's Eve, 4 a.m. I'm literally typing that on. I slapped it. I was like, didn't have much hope. Went yeah. to sleep. 11 a.m. I wake up next morning. So this is first January 2014 and I see a response from this guy and I was like, I, I just could not believe it. I was like, wow. what the hell? So that's how we actually kind of made the first connection. Um, yeah. and he talked about that- himself and, you know, okay. did, like a bunch of load of videos and it actually came from a Google Mail, like the official Google Mail and that made made it even more suspicious. Oh, right. you like, <laughs> we were like, what the hell?
0: Um, You you thought he might be some kind of like catfish or something. I I
1: don't know. I didn't know what to make of it. And then I just wrote back to him. You know what? I'm also going to... He had mentioned a few things. I was like, you know what? I'll also risk it. Here's my reply. Let's have a call and then see where it goes. So I just like replied and then he turned out to be a real person. That's a great... I mean, that
0: is... I've not heard that founder... I've heard lots of founder stories, but that is... That's one of the best ones I think I've ever heard. (laughs) When when you first got on the call, like... So I, I always find it really interesting how you... having gone through the process myself a few times, you know, when you move from all that energy and desire and sort of, I would say, top level inspiration into where actually this is the direction that we're then going to go in. So what did that kind of, you know, from that first phone call or that first meeting, how did you start to drill down
1: into what became Helium? That's another journey. Yeah. Yeah,
2: that was a process of about nine months of what you okay. almost describe as sort of founder dating or founder courting in a way. Like um, the, uh, I love the fact by the way, Steve, you describe um, meetups as old school. That's, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. It totally is. Um, so for me myself, I was also, you know, um, I worked uh, at Google at the time and I um, would go around there and talk to all the um, various different, you know, engineers and, they were quite happy doing what they were doing. Even some of the ones right. working on really exciting um, technology didn't really have the appetite to leave the confines of Shangri-La and uh, uh, enter into the, you know... Yeah, exactly. No, no one wants to give up the free ice cream bar or whatever <laughs> exactly, it is. Exactly, exactly. And sort of for me, in you know, a sort of um, bleary-eyed morning on New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's Day, I, you know, responded to this. But uh, Nudge and I then met up like several times. And it was really just... Um, Uh, discussing what our overall purpose and values were. A lot of it was, um, you know, really going to the heart of, like, why did we want to um, set up a health technology company? What is it we wanted to do? What the problems we wanted to solve? And it became apparent for both of us that anyone who suffers with a um, condition um, or anyone that has a risk of, Um, their health progressing badly or um, we wanted to assist them and um, with all of the different data and insights at the points in their lives where it was could actually be useful and provide them with that selection of services and choices that Mm. they need to effectively manage their health and um, it came through I think we met up about once a month for about nine months to discuss all things, you know, um, both on a personal and professional level, to really see that we had that vision. I think by the time we sort of got to around September that year, it was clear that we had a strong focus around um, particularly obesity and starting Mm. to apply some of our ideas around how monitoring can improve health outcomes, how being connected with a team of people can help um, health outcomes, how using some of the things that we'd learned about behavior change in our past careers mm. could actually have an impact on their lives, how creating great mobile products could support people at different points in their journey. And it started to crystallize into, a, you know, a platform that could be used by um, healthcare
0: professionals and people and do a better job of connecting them okay. at all those moments. The so, so it took I, a I, while. Yeah. So I, bu- I totally buy into that. I love, I love the product. I love the service. I've been on the website and played around with it and things like that. I think it's and like, you know, obviously we're, we're a POC doc, we're, we're not in the same space, but we're familiar with some of the pathways that you're working on, you know, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and you know, yep. we're at the risk assessment end of that, not necessarily the ongoing chronic care piece of it, but, yep. um, you know, I can completely see the the value of, of what you guys are doing, but what I'm interested in particularly is, you know, it's easy to have lots of ideas, you know, but you specifically targeted the NHS from the beginning, I think, yep. I'm correct if I'm wrong, but I think you did. Um, and, having great ideas doesn't necessarily translate into getting anyone in the nhs to work with you so how did you validate what your ideas were that they would actually be accepted into the nhs i know it's again it will probably be a process but you know wh- why out of interest why did you not follow the pathway of you know launching a diabetes management coaching app of which there are lots of people that went that path you know you chose a much much harder path a much more sort of altruistic part if you you like but but you know with the potential to affect a lot more people but how did those kind of decisions get
1: made so I think I I want to say one couple of things so you know uh, Steve so when we were going through that process of sort of founder coating right one of the things obviously we looked at okay what are the things that we both are passionate about where do we align but we also looked at like what are our collective gaps Mm. what are the things that we don't know and what are the things that we don't know we don't know Right. <laughs> that that was that was really important and that's why it took us such a long time, uh, you know, time uh, to get there and kind of deliver the baby called Helam. Um and when we actually started, I think uh there were things that we knew. We were very confident of that okay, we are we are very good at doing these things. And we were aligned on what we actually wanted to do over the next twenty years. We didn't, right. didn't think of like, oh, we actually have our plans that we made back in twenty fourteen of where we wanted to aim. Uh, you know, what's our North Star going to be. And for us both, I think it was always about how many, you know, people and how many people's lives we can actually impact, um, improve, you know, the quality of their lives or help bring efficiencies uh, for healthcare professions and help, help them do more with so much, very little time and resources that they have. So those are the things we were always aligned on. And then I think there were a few things that we knew, oh man, you know, uh, uh, we don't know.
2: Right. And and that that helps us form a plan for the first year and a half of all the people that we needed to go and speak to. So um, we um, set up multiple um, long interviews with people working across primary care in the NHS, from GPs to practice nurses to healthcare assistants. We went and got a whole set of people with different long term conditions and spent the time listening to them. Both of us had been involved with Um, you know, best practice, digital, UX design, you know, AI first design, mobile first design, it all starts with basic first human principles of understanding the challenges and issues and problems that people have got in their lives. I went up to Rotherham and lived there for a couple of weeks because there was a medical weight management service in 2015 called the Rotherham Institute of Obesity and really worked with them to, um, you know, talk to their patients and um, understood what's going on in those people's lives and then talk to their team and understand Understood all the opportunities that we could um, um, have and create within a software for that team to use and a mm-hmm. mobile app for those patients
0: to use to just improve their outcomes, okay. give them more support, all of that that yeah and i think that that makes total sense it's like the hard yards right you know it's like validating the previous ideas that you had and let's seeing if they survive first contact yeah Um, see we
2: did that for two years right and um the the reason we did that for two years like you know there's an adage in technology that says you fail fast and break things it's the opposite in healthcare yeah it doesn't work slowly in care for people right and so that's what we took the time to do yeah
0: i completely agree i mean this you know yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the, the, that kind of adage of being able to move fast and break things and it's all good doesn't really apply in health tech because you're dealing with people's lives, people's health. You know, there's regulatory issues. There's there's moral issues. It's just not really the same. Um, yeah. So, yes. with So when you were going through that process, what um, what were the things that kind of got sort of, I guess, um, debunked for you? you know, did you go in there with any preconceived thoughts about, okay, we think this is going to be the way that people might want it. And then you spoke to them and actually it turned out to be completely different to what you originally
1: thought. Wow. That's, that's, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think some of the things that, see, one of the things that we actually learned along the way was the speed at which we would be able to move at right? recalibrating ourselves and our own, you know, it's kind of like when you, when you are, Sort of getting on uh, something, and you are preparing yourself. You're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to complete this in X amount of time. Yeah. Okay, as human beings, everyone has that perception, and that was the one of the things we had to recalibrate ourselves. Like, okay, you know what? This is uh, a longer uh, marathon than than we think. Yeah. We, we thought it was. That was one big uh, recalibration. Uh, I think quite a lot of things uh, in terms of just healthcare itself. Where you know, realizing that. Um, some of the things that we think in terms of models, uh, you know, just care models, the, the, what we had read, um, there there is very, uh, you know, belief out there in even in healthcare professionals that some, some things work and some things don't work. So that was another learning that we had while speaking to individuals. And the biggest one, I would say, what would be from the patient's perspective and the The way patients and healthcare providers, because we are the one who are dealing with two different stakeholders. So we deal with professionals who use our product and patients as well. And listening to those two opposite perspectives and kind of us being that common ground, that was another big sort of learning. um, Yeah, uh, Yeah,
0: you're the you're almost the 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 honest broker in between kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And if if I'm adding to that, the things that really amazed me were um, asking healthcare professionals, fine, if we um, create this platform, this software for you, and it only takes you two minutes instead of 10 minutes to create a care plan, what will you do with the additional eight minutes? And I was really surprised. Instead of, we're going to treat loads more patients and so on, main thing was, I'm just going to spend more time listening and caring for those patients. That was really interesting. Actually, innate in the relationship between the healthcare professional and the patient's. Why have, you know, doctors and nurses done all this hard work to get into a position where they can care for people? It's to care for people. They'd spend more time giving quality care. The second thing was around the um, sort of when we've looked at what their trust in using any solution that could, um, you know, communicate with people outside the clinical environment, whether there's a role for automation or not. Actually... Um, we had to also recalibrate our thinking around how do we actually redesign the basic principles of who Mm. healthcare professionals trust and try and design a system where we've got a lot of them collaborating together because the thing they said they trust trust most was other healthcare professionals as opposed to randomly written rules and regulations and, and building them into any automated solution. It was that network of peers and what patients... Actually, um, are saying to them. So yeah. that was the kind of biggest learning I think that set us up in good stead to sort of redesign our pathways around trust, transparency, mm. um, and and to focus on really how do you accentuate if you're saving them time, how do you give them amazing tools to spend additional um, effort caring
0: for patients? That makes sense. I and mean, when we had um we did a show a few weeks back with Dr. Sarah Jarvis and um. Dr. Ahmed Sherabani. So Ahmed um, is the founder of Locum's Nest, which is like a digital staffing solution. And um, Dr. Sarah Jarvis is clinical director at patient.info. And um, she joined patient.info because she'd always used patient.info as a doctor because patient.info is written by doctors. And so it's the most popular health um, information website in the UK. It's uh, kind of surpassed the NHS website. And Ahmed on the, on the, on the call, was, on, the, on the show was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't re- you know, he's like, I'm a huge fan of patient.info. That got through me, my, that got me through my junior doctor, you know, junior doctoring sort of thing. So it's sort of, I, I, I buy into that bit where, you know, doctors and, and nurses, healthcare professionals get the most value from speaking to other people like themselves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, I, I, I want to add one more thing, right? What, what surprised me? And I think both of us was, you know, usually there is this notion that, okay, tech, you know the the amount of reception that we got from clinicians and the interest that they had in like just the technology and what we were trying to do and basically the all the amount of help and support we have got i mean it's incredible right. goodwill back, it's like wow how we you know how we have come through without this this support from you know clinicians and even patients uh, i don't think we would have been uh, been there so, 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 yeah, so that's another uh, revelation
0: so I've got one more question on this kind of area, and then we can move on to all the cool and amazing stuff that Helam's doing right now. But just in connection to that point that you just made, at the time when you were going out talking to people, what was the next best thing? What was What were people doing to do what you ultimately decided to, to use Helium to do? I mean, what, were, what was the benchmark at the time? So I've got a particular
2: moment of truth there. I'm sure I know you've got a couple, but um, it's when you're sitting in front of um, a bunch of, you know, uh, GPs and practice nurses who've got um, not much time in their day. And, um, you know, they're on the clock, even give you this, you know, uh, great advice. And, and um, when you, they started to break down some of the real basics of how they do patient education currently or a care plan. So like what you're competing with currently and they held up was a piece of paper, two mm-hmm. size a four, here's a care plan. Currently, we write it out. We scribble the notes, we give it to patients. They go off. You're competing with that right? And then um the other experience of um, I've got a 10-minute consultation, and in the last two minutes, I'm literally scrabbling around for leaflets, there's a couple of printouts, I'm directing someone to a poster on the door, don't quite know what the social prescribing services are, so read out a list, and they're like, you're competing with that, right? So there are lots of other amazing um, companies, many of whom you've had on your show, who are doing all sorts of platform, you've got platforms for uh, structured education for social prescribing, for creating integrated plans of care and support, for decision making across the pathway. What and, and all of them do amazing work in, in in their own respective ways. But we always, when we're thinking about right, what we're we trying to do in terms of making clinicians' lives easier, we come draw back to those examples. And for patients, yeah. it's then um, when what was really shocking is just looking at how many of them would not remember what they would actually be told in the appointment and what you're competing with there is either their own notes or all the things they then Google after the appointment. Right. Right. We're Like how can we organize that in a way? And and also
0: if it's written down on a piece of paper, it's completely non-trackable.
2: Right. Right. Like you can't track
0: performance against a piece of paper and you can't expect most people to do that.
2: Definitely. And I think Anuj can probably talk better to like what we're, uh, what the benchmark was for AI, right? Because that's then about solving the problem of how do you amplify the um, clinician's um, involvement and connection with the patient outside the clinical environment. And, and there, you know, there are a host of people who've got their own unique way of using AI. So perhaps you want to pick up on that?
1: Yes. I think just to uh, tie, you know, tie that up, I think, yeah, i um, Steve, what we were competing or it was a realization on us was we were competing with such level of simplicity and that was very humbling for us. It's like, yes, if we can't design something so simple, then there's no point. We're yeah. just, you know, another thing in the system that people yeah. have to use. And we don't want to be that, right? And on the patient's side, some of the things that they actually wanted was, okay, I am outside. I've had this consultation. I've spent, you know, in a year, I get to spend in in terms of chronic conditions. In a year, I get to spend like two, three hours in total aggregated with uh, a healthcare professional, but I'm like thousand right. hours. I'm outside, out there, living my life, making my own decisions. So I want to know what I can do, what I can't do, what's right for me, what's not right for me. My life is always changing. That was another, you know, thing that we realized. That this yeah, because awesome. I
0: think people, it, there's probably well, I don't know if this is true, but I could imagine there was a tendency to obsess about the time spent with the clinician and yeah. not thinking about well, actually, that's just a tiny fraction hugely important but still a tiny fraction of, of like you said what, what did you say two hours with a clinician versus 10,000 hours a yeah, year or something
1: four hours with the clinician over a year and then about 8,000 plus sort of hours on their own dealing right. with situations that was another thing and then finally what we were competing with is Dr. Google
0: okay Dr. Google yes okay
1: um, so yeah and going on to you know some of the things that we realized where automation and AI could, could kind of help is um bringing, allowing, uh, you know, as John mentioned, referring to what John mentioned earlier, uh, allowing clinicians to have those extra few minutes of conversation so that yep. patients, you know, feel that they have been heard, they have been, uh, you know, their, their concerns have been addressed. So that that was one of the things where how can we make our system so that any, any healthcare professional just has to spend maybe even less than 30 seconds. This is our standard that we put on ourselves. How can they do something in our system in less than 30 seconds for the benefit of the patients? That's the right. amount of time. That's which your
0: benchmark. Of, uh,
1: uh, yeah. Opposite of what you would want, you know, from, from any other product. You would want people to spend as much time as possible in this. Yeah. But that's, that's the benchmark we set for ourselves. And that was one thing from which the, the whole aspect of like AI, because every sort of level of simplicity, there is a lot of complexity that, you know, kind of encapsulates Mm. um, that level of simplicity. That's where we actually started, where um, how could we simplify that? How could we, uh, you know, make it so efficient and surface things that people, healthcare professionals, not only trusted, there was a level of explainability in how they have come upon whatever it is that they are seeing in the front of the screen. Um, And of course, it is, you know, ethical... And things like that so yeah we, we, we can go uh, deeper
0: uh, yeah so I, what i want to do now is um just switch it switch it on to what basically what helium how would you describe what helium does because there's a healthcare professional focused element there's a patient focused element and then and um, from, from what you told me prior to the show and what I've done with my research, there's an extremely sophisticated AI, um, artificial intelligence that almost binds everything together, as well as a huge amount of extremely valuable content. So on the face of it, there is a lot that HELAM is doing. So how would you describe what HELAM does,
2: so, does? Sure. For people with long term conditions, um, HELAM is a provides a digital service that enables them to make better decisions about their health at the moments that are important when managing their health. And it does that through a uh, patient-facing mobile app that is connected to a patient management system for long-term conditions. So anyone with a long-term condition can effectively on their phone get advice, support, and educational content about their long-term condition. Mm-hmm. They can access a um, program of um, behavioral change and good habits and support that they've co-created with a team of healthcare professionals but across the NHS and outside of the NHS. Mm-hmm. They can communicate back to those healthcare professionals and get help and support when they're out living their lives. And uh, they can also monitor and understand the key aspects of both their health through their integration with their medical records, but also um, be able to understand their progress. Um, the whole system is underpinned by some smart machine learning technology, which is, that's, for us, the whole purpose of that was to do two things. Mm-hmm. Firstly, make the software that healthcare professionals use Better. If we're trying to create a care plan for an individual patient and you're looking at uh, millions of articles, millions of videos, millions of goals and habits and medication and services, um, how do we make that as useful as possible on the screen? And for individuals, how do we make the sets of recommendations that are coming from health professionals? And the other things that are serviced in the app as relevant, as useful as possible. But this all comes down to supporting people with long term
0: conditions to make the decisions to manage their health. So is, um, is it fair to say that if you have a long term condition you, and you, you interact with your GP or some, some other specialist clinician for that particular condition, they w- one of the bedrocks of that is is the kind of creation or updating of a care plan, which is, How would you describe a care plan to anyone that doesn't know what a care plan is? So a care plan is something that um, an individual
2: um, can create for themselves in partnerships with a healthcare professional. Um, Care plans are a standard part of the NHS's practice for many different long term conditions where um, it gives patients, um, people with long term conditions, some agency and direction over how they want their care to be managed where they can choose the goals they have in their life and um, how they want to manage their health in relation to that. And then the healthcare professional will then give them some resources to support that. So they'll recommend certain treatments, medications, Mm -hmm. certain services that might be available to the individual in the the local community, in the local community. Yeah. Some content that will be relevant for them. Um, And they can also, um, you know, using the best aspects of, um, behavior change that's encapsulated within our digital platform you can just set those little triggers like reminders um, and uh, daily goals and those things and and that, that motivate people on a daily basis to just be conscious of um, the goals they've got for managing their health and Give them the support to achieve that. One of the things we're most surprised about is when you ask people what their health goals are, right? And this comes across whenever you talk to clinicians or people. They don't typically say, oh, I want to use X amount of, I want to reduce my HbA1c by X amount, right? Mm -hmm. It's normally through like a human goal. I want to lose wait for my daughter's wedding or I want to be at a kneel down to pray or something that's more human and creating that kind of care plan that's more humanistic is something that we wanted to put that in the hands of people and empower them so it wasn't just fully a clinically led um, care plan that then doesn't have as much cut through and 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 take up so that's effectively the care plans received on the mobile app it's created in the software and and as part of that Patients get a stream of educational content, um, some local services information, can set their goals and habits, track and monitor, and communicate back with those healthcare professionals. That's it in a nutshell.
0: And it's all for free, isn't it?
2: In the areas where it's available, yeah. it's free for the patient. 100%. We decided we weren't going to ever go down a model where we're like charging patients of the NHS to use the app. We didn't want to have a model of advertising or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've you know, um, works with NHS commissioning partners um, and some other um, healthcare companies that serve local authorities in the NHS to be able to, you know, they um, purchase this as part of their overall procurement for managing patients, and then patients get, use those services for free.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, going back to what the situation was before Helium came around, you know, the, the creation of the care plan you said was very manual and was either written down on a piece of paper handed over, or it was scrabbling around, grabbing leaflets, pointing to posters and that whereas what you what, what Helam does is allows that digital co-creation at the time that's then almost like sent, transmitted to that person's app that they can review on an ongoing basis.
2: That's right. And you know, it it allows us to um, it changes the care plan and the nature of it in you know the following attributes. Firstly the care plan becomes something that is digital. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's living and breathing. It's living and breathing. Um, right. Someone can update it on a regular basis,
0: and when events happen in their lives, the um, care plan can be updated. Well, and, and also everyone, generally speaking, well, most people, a lot of people, always have their phone with them. You know, so it's instead of having to carry around a piece of paper to keep referring to what your care plan is, you, you kind of have it in your pocket the whole time.
2: Definitely. It's always on and it's collaborative as well. It means that it's not just a conversation you might have with one nurse or healthcare assistant in year one, but it means that if I don't know there's a locum that day or someone else in the practice um, that that care plan can be um, with the patient's consent shared amongst multiple different healthcare professionals. So that it's also does the, has the other attribute of being unifying unified view of the data, unified view of the action as well. Um, so that's how it, it significantly changes things.
0: And how have you integrated AI or machine learning into the solution? Because I, I mean, just at the face of it, even if you didn't have the AI piece of it, I can see the value to the patient and the healthcare provider of that. But you've gone a step further and tried to integrate or have integrated this sort of underpinning layer of, of AI machine learning. And so how has that integration happened? And really, why have you done that?
1: So I'll talk about the why first, and then uh, we'll we'll, we'll talk about how we've done it. So why we have done, uh, why we have looked at AI uh, is simply because uh, if I if I go back to my point of you know how can we make this uh, for the healthcare profession? How can we make this so that they can do it in less than 30 seconds? um, It is uh, uh, there is a lot of trust in what is being done or what is being surfaced for the healthcare professionals. Um, because as John was mentioning earlier, there are millions of, you know, information articles that can be presented and that can be applicable to yeah. each person, uh, and their condition. Um, so I think that was, that was, uh, one of the, uh, uh, things. The second thing was we were also looking at, okay, how best to, you know, uh, allow not only healthcare professions, but also the, you know, uh, patients who are receiving it, how best to allow them to have access to this peer knowledge you know uh, healthcare professionals trust most their yeah. their own peers so yeah. how can we bring that into the fold basically we in a, we in a as, way yeah we called it as scaling second opinions right, right? so how, how can we do that so that was the, that was the second thing and then the third and final thing was if uh, uh healthcare professionals can benef- benefit from this scaled second opinions why not uh patients get that same advantage as well so they are getting advantage of not only uh, one healthcare professional, what they have done and how they have collaborated on uh, a, a person's health, but also multiple other such uh, healthcare professionals. Those are the main reasons why mm-hmm. we decided. Okay, we're going to look at you know artificial intelligence. Okay, and uh, in terms of like integrating and what we how we went about doing it is basically um, uh, we, we, this is this is about you know multiple different sort of So one is around, there's so much content and information out there. How do you cut through the noise? Filtering it. Get that and make it valuable. So that was one of the key areas where we had to do some integration. The second thing was, what is the, what is the common language going to be running through all of this AI? What is that source of truth? So there's something called a SNOMED codes, uh, which is what each patient's health record is kind of uh, uh, coded with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one source of food that we thought we will hang our models on. Um, okay. The second piece of thing, the second decision that we made. So SnowMed code basically runs through everything that our AI model does. There's that okay. common language there. Um, and the third thing we looked at was, okay, how can we allow uh, healthcare professionals to get access to similar sort of interventions that have worked for similar kinds of people? right uh, whom they are consulting with right now right, in right. Front of him. So that was a third piece of you know area that, so, that could
0: be a clinician anywhere that's been dealing with someone in a similar situation and it that's has absolutely, yeah absolutely so wow.
1: and even at that point it's not just like hey here's what we are recommending go and use it clinician always has the has the would have the ability to override that decision saying okay you know what, yeah I
0: clinical judgment clinical judgment trumps everything
1: exactly, that was yeah, absolutely. That was really, really important for us for various reasons around bias, transparency, and, you know, keeping the whole solution ethical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the finally, obviously, you know, patient getting benefit of this entire sort of workflow um, at the end of the day. And then again, uh, we we tried it at a very small scale. Um, and now it's all about just growing this and then, you know, um, uh, running allowing more uh, clinicians and healthcare professionals to use it and then getting
0: benefit, benefit of it. Definitely. So I um I saw as part of your, your fundraise um, in your, your very well directed video on your website of the two of you after your fundraise, which I thought was very sweet. Um, yeah. The um, that you're dedicating a, a portion of this investment to um, what you're calling a live learning network yes. which yeah. is designed to really super, supercharge. I don't know if that's the right way, but sort of really move your, AI technology on significantly. So um, what do you what, what is that? Well, i would never heard the phrase before. So what is that? And why are you doing it? So i um, coming back to the heart of,
2: you know, why we've done this, people with long term conditions make most of the decisions that affect their health when they're not inside a clinic right we do agree yeah. on that so when taking their medication um what food to eat um how to educate their family um the lifestyle habits they've got the services they use and um how they their approach to work life the whole thing right and um, the point is, there's never going to be enough healthcare professionals to have like a doctor right there in your pocket, and there's never going to be enough healthcare professionals to just have one permanently there online guiding you through life. It'd be a bit creepy as well, right? So <laughs> there's definitely, on. yeah, there's definitely like a role for, um, but in the same way, like there are lots of times when all of us would want access to. right expert or opinion at the right moment in time right so
0: in today's world where it's always on demand
2: definitely so how do you do that in a way that assists those healthcare professionals remember what i said when you know we asked them what they would do this additional time they're like i'd give better care to people Mm. right so um and and when we looked at um using our system we thought okay in the little screen that the healthcare professionals have got that is their laptop or desktop yeah how do we ensure that all of the rights, interventions and services that they're about to recommend to a patient, um, i.e. The, you know, the clinical decision they're making, mm-hmm. is the best possible one with all of these different possibilities? And um, it comes to the heart of um, a very philosophical debate of what is intelligence versus wisdom healthcare professionals trust the wisdom of other healthcare professionals Mm -hmm. and there isn't currently a way for all of those healthcare professionals to share their wisdom in a way that accounts for the complex set of um different (laughs) demographics ethnicities um, and multi-comorbidities that people have in their lives so we thought well our approach to um, designing our um, AI-powered system, which Innovate UK helped fund, um, yeah. was to always solve that bias. So SNOMED codes, what they help us do is, like, mean that if there's a bloke in, you know, his 60s in Hole who has MSK, it skeletal issues and who's got depression and who's got diabetes – that our algorithms can learn based on all the other patients like him and can actually look at what other healthcare professionals have done in that very situation for that person, right? Right. So it it, it means that um, we're developing lots of training models that are trained by the wisdom of healthcare professionals Mm -hmm. inputting into it um, so that the things in the software that are recommended are coming from that collective wisdom. And they're trained in a context where you can overcome the issue of bias, so um for us
0: we were how, like, um, how how does it overcome the issue of bias or what do you mean by when you say the issue when, of bias? when you the issue of bias um you know as i've heard
2: sort of spoken about thank thanks for the prompts is um uh, in in ai is that a lot of um machine learning algorithms are being trained by um, data sets which represent large general populations in the community. So um, okay. certain ethnic communities um, who've got specific health issues, specific socio-demographic characteristics, who've got where certain treatments respond better and approaches mm-hmm. than others, they don't get picked up in these models. Right. So you're in danger of the you know, future of healthcare being trained on the most general characteristics, yeah. whereas health's not like that. So we wanted to create mm-hmm. a system where we could pick up the individualized, personalized aspects of people's lives and train the models in that way, but using the trusted agents, the inputs of the healthcare professionals to do that. So our live learning network will give and we've we've got some um, practices already opted into this right we've been building this proposition concept for the last um, last two years so those GP practices will be able to join this network and will be able to share the insights as to what works best for different kinds of patient populations and they can choose whether to also provide the app to their patients and the app explains to their patients it's you know there's a um the data that they'll provide into this is contributing to the learning and helping and treating other people yeah and it and enables us to do that in a transparent way that respects consent that overcomes issues of um algorithmic bias where you're training it on the general population yeah it does it in a way where for healthcare professionals we're allowing them just to see what is the best solution based on what their peers have done and hopefully add a layer of trust and transparency as to what should be done for someone who has five conditions at the same point in time mm-hmm. and can give them that intelligence at the point of clinical care to better make a decision.
1: I mean, uh, there's another thing I would like to add on, on on the aspect of, you know, there are quite a few issues in artificial intelligence and algorithms, right? So one of the main things is bias, and as John mentioned, so there is that data bias yeah, human bias as well. So, you know, it's humans who are actually designing those models. So okay. human, human beings always have a confirmation bias yep. that tends to creep into the models as well. And okay. then there, there, there is the third thing where, you know, when you actually deploy these models in production. Now, what if in a certain, you know, area of population, only certain types of patients or certain race of patients are being seen for whatever reason, sure. whatever societal reason, clearly that model will start doing and then basically affect others who are sort of underprivileged or don't Yeah I mean them.
0: how do you address that right because in certain areas of the country there are certain there's a different makeup of of types of people different conditions different issues
1: Absolutely yeah so I think uh, one of the key things that we 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 decided early on is basically one of the key things to start with is this awareness that there can be bias and when you are designing the the, the models have to be aware of these biases and design it from that perspective, not for perspective of accuracy, but perspective right. of, okay, yeah, it can be wrong, avoiding conflict. So that's one of the first things. The second thing is there are there are various ways uh, you can de-bias the algorithm itself. Now, that may mean that you have lower accuracy, but it would also mean that the algorithm is not doing something which it's not meant to do for the, sure. you know, the underprivileged uh, person. So that's the second, thing. third thing, which is the most important thing, is keeping the hu- keeping the human being in the loop. So here, the human being is the healthcare professional. So okay. we specifically, made a very hard choice that we have to always give the final say to the clinician, to the healthcare professional. They know what they are doing. Yeah. Uh, so that is one of the things. And for that, you also design a specific layer uh, uh, um, uh, uh, around this whole model, which would override anything that model says. So if it doesn't agree with what yeah. the clinical team has decided, that's overridden. So, so
0: it's almost, yeah. So is it, you're sort of phrasing it like, the, these are all of the things that you could do, for example, that the system thinks is relevant that I'm showing exactly. you. But obviously, the, you know, the final decision is yours. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then obviously, uh, uh, this then takes care of also patient um, safeguarding as well so that they don't see something, that they shouldn't be receiving. or um, And and at the same time, it also looks at um, keeping um, the transparency in the model. So it's not like a complete black box where the, the computer says X and that's what you're meant to do. But you're like, okay, this is the reason why the model says whatever it says. And it can be explained with a sequence of sort of events and clearly explain why the model thinks the way it does. Um, so, yeah, these are some of the ways uh, we can address and sure. transparency.
0: So taking that into account, I know that you, you guys work already across eight, um, eight trusts in the UK, um, which I think speaks for itself. But in, I've got two questions. One is, um, how have you been able to evidence the, the value that Helan brings? Um, I know you've done at least one randomized control trial. I think you're planning another. How have you been able to evidence the value? And then the second piece is, what do you see the next 12 months being like for Helam? Sure. So we've always had
2: an approach to gather, to look at evidence as always just an integral part of what the company will always do. Mm. Um, It's baked into the proposition of the product, if you like. If you think about you know, there are other companies who maybe they have a certain medical device and then they are sort of obliged to do some evidence in order to endear to regulations and to demonstrate the health economic benefits and the health benefits. With us, we've started the opposite way, which is just um, we're all about sharing insights and learnings and that's baked into the very DNA and fabric of what we're doing. We're always going to invest 20% of our time, money, and energy to always have some element of service evaluation, randomized control trial, technical feasibility study, always running. Mm -hmm. The UK, I would say, is the very best place in the world to be able to access lots of supporting um, funding um, and research expertise to be able to do. That's one of the reasons why we chose to locate in um, in the Greater Manchester region, because um, we receive so much great clinical support from the NIHR up there, the Clinical Research Network, um, the Nova CIC, who are a federation up there, helped us hugely. And, um, you know, the um, and Innovate UK provide that ability to continually um, get evidence. So for us, we're never going to stop. Um, you know applying for and being part of test beds evaluations wherever we can doing randomized control trials like that for us is just an ongoing always on process Mm. not even to just um, like validate in a, um, a clinical way the impact and quality of life outputs but to really understand usage and value that we're bringing to people and to do that through a multiple of different ways. Now, evaluating, getting, deriving learnings and research from AI, I think is a really interesting area, right? Um, you've got historical context where you've got these sort of constructs of, you know, a randomized control trial or a research program, but the way we need to start evaluating um, the use of machine learning and uh, digital technologies, I think the NIHR made huge, amazing, great strides in publishing guidelines of how that needs to work and what the standards are. And for us, we see that there's a real opportunity, particularly with the live learning network, to provide those kind of always-on insights and to Mm. understand across, you know, thousands of permutations of patients with different comorbidities and ethnicities and demographics, what those insights look like. So um, you can, you know, derive a thousand conclusions from um using the system and software at once as Mm -hmm. opposed to just having to do the you know randomized control trial that's funded and delivered in a certain way both have a place and we'll always do both but i'm saying like with the ai stuff you need to just approach it slightly
0: differently in order to get the full value of the technology that makes sense so what is kind of on the horizon for the next 12 to 24 months for helen Cool. So
2: Anuj, why don't you take that from like a proposition perspective? Huh?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, so basically, I think one of the biggest things that we uh, want to do, as I was saying earlier, was, um, you know, always with uh, AI is more people using it the more uh, opportunities to learn um, from it. And that goes from both uh, healthcare professionals perspective and um, uh you know people, the end users, the patients who are who are getting benefit out of it, so that's one one of the big things that we are focusing on in the next twelve to twenty four uh, 24 months um then the second thing is we are heavily investing and dialing up the personalizations that uh, you know we can do okay so we we have been uh, piloting some of the ways to create high level of engagement um, with people about their own health. Um, and there are uh, some of the things around different technologies around videos, around, you know, voice and things like that, that we have funded. So that is another thing that we are going to be, you know, investing in. Um, and then also improving access to healthcare. So it's not just about people who are tech savvy. We've also looked at a solution where we can include personalized healthcare for people who are not tech savvy. Okay. And like that. So that so is,
0: quality of access is a really yeah. big thing at the moment yeah. isn't it yeah.
1: big yeah. time and and i
2: think that that theme of personalization and inclusivity um that it's really hard to execute on that and that's what we want to spend the next you know 12 to 24 months building the roadmap and um you know we uh, are b- about to announce some really interesting developments around Providing specific content and materials for different people of different languages and ethnic groups. So, okay. um, really interesting. I think that's going to be a big, big part of what we're doing. Yeah. Secondly, the main thing is with our product and proposition, it's really um, doubling down on people with long-term conditions and just making the experience as good as possible mm-hmm. in all the different moments that they need health and support. That's really important. There's a whole bunch of um, interoperability integration stuff that comes as standard and par for course in this space. We've done yeah. quite a lot of integration work already and there's more to come. Mm-hmm. And then um, with the rollout of um, the live learning network, that will start to get that kind of research and academic um collaboration um and that's going to be important. And then inevitably there's going to be more customers um, across the NHS, um, private clinics that deal in specialized treatment of long-term conditions, mm-hmm. um, and lots of which gives us more opportunity to listen, understand, listen to and understand more patients and the needs of more healthcare professionals. So we just want to focus on engagement, usage, intelligence. Um, just make that our main focus and hopefully then um, the ability to scale out to have more of an impact in more people's lives
0: that flows from that basically. Wow great well look it sounds like you guys have got quite a 12 to 24 months ahead of you and you're doing incredible stuff so I wish you guys all the best with Helam um, yeah fantastic company and I yeah just thanks for coming on the show um, thanks to everyone for listening and yeah I wish you guys all the best. Great, thanks, man. You guys too at PodDoc as well. Fun. Thanks, thanks for having us Great. on the show. Cheers. Oh.